You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. A few months ago, my good friend Lauren Michaels texted me to say that Tina Fey was coming to London to star in the new Poirot movie. He knew I would love her. From the first meeting, it became a friendship formed with food. Tina arrived at our house with a beautiful box of chocolates for me, as brought up to do by her mother, and I brought home a River Cafe lemon tart for her. The first dinner, I made slow-cooked tomato pasta. She ate two portions, and then we played cards. <laughs> How dare you remember you did. that? I think maybe I it was I three. I'm actually, you know, <laughs> being polite. Tina was there for the Rogers family traditional Thanksgiving, Italian style, with punterelle, new olive oil, and cavallonero, and turkey. There was a tea time visit when four of us ate pretty much a whole panettone and wrote a song for the River Cafe Christmas party. Best of all was a dinner in the River Cafe when her family, Jeff, Alice, and Penelope, came for the holidays and we ordered every dessert on the menu. Of course, millions of us have shared food with Tina Fey in 30 Rock, which she wrote and starred in, and where even her name, Liz Lemon, was food-related, sandwiches never to be shared, hard cheese eaten at midnight, advice given to John McEnroe on where to buy the best cupcakes in New York City, her obsession with hot dogs resulting in a food warning from the street vendor. On SNL, a brownie husband devouring a cake while discussing riots and Weekend Update, and who could forget the cafeteria scene in the movie she wrote, Mean Girls. Okay. I'm Sean Winnowen, and I'm the executive chef at the River Cafe. Today we're making tomato tagliarini with Tina Fey. We're going to make a tagliarini with slow-cooked tomato sauce and butter, mm -hmm. which is probably one of Ruthie's secrets, is mm -hmm. adding the butter to it. We're going to cook the yeah. pasta in boiling salted water. Mm -hmm. They always say that you should cook pasta in water that's the saltiest sea salt. Yeah, I was just going to say, is yeah. that true? The thing about it, it tastes so. like the sea? Yeah, yeah. that's right. I think having the confidence to see some water that much is a bit, mm. a bit bold. I'm not afraid of salt. You know, I, I have low blood pressure, so I can have as much salt as I want. <laughs> You're one of the lucky few. But I, I tell myself, <laughs> my I wish friend. I had this giant pasta boiling station in my know, apartment. This is, this is what you want. I mean... Aha, now we know. It's okay, about, now we know. That's about a half a cup of butter in a one-person portion. <laughs> oh, it smells so good. Is that on a plate? Uh, yeah. Only because we can't pour it right into my mouth here at the station. This being an audio format is not doing this pasta justice. 
in a nice high tile, then it's pretty yeah. nice. Oh. Gorgeous. If I could marry a non-human entity, <laughs> I would marry this pasta. <laughs> This is like one of Ruthie's house classics, isn't it? Yes, I had this. I had the deep privilege of, I went to Ruthie's house once, remember, and she served this at her house. And then um, then somehow we figured out that we could be jerks and come here and order an off-menu. Exactly, off-menu. Yeah. Well, we always have it. We just have it for yeah. special occasions. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Any day is a special occasion if you try hard enough. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Tina is leaving London tomorrow, words I can hardly bear to say, and her last day in London is here in the River Cafe. She's made us tomato sauce in the kitchen with Sean and the chefs, and is now in the recording studio with me, and she's already told us what she wants to eat for lunch. A friendship formed with food indeed, and Lauren was right, I do love her. Oh, thank you, Ruthie, that's such a nice introduction. Good. Well, you've just been in the River Cafe kitchen. What was it like? Close oh my God, it like? it's the most beautiful dance happening in the kitchen. Everyone working so perfectly together. And also Sean was saying today's the first day back after Christmas break. And so everyone, you would never know it. Things are, are flowing perfectly and everything looks delicious. Yeah. Delicious. And what was it like making the pasta? What did you do? Well, I did learn that one secret to the pasta... Because I was wondering what was so extra about this beautiful, simple tomato pasta. And I think the answer is that it's um, buffalo milk butter. Mm. A sizable, a sizable amount, portion yeah. gets dropped on this pasta right at the end yeah. and melted into it. And it's very good. That's fine. When people come to our house and I'm making it, I often say, would you, um, would you uh, like to go, because it's an open kitchen, I, would you like to go sit down? You know? <laughs> so they don't Would see. you like to go? <laughs> I somehow feel such a traitor for using butter in the pasta when everybody thinks that tomato pasta is olive oil yeah. and pasta and tomato. And that's delicious. You mm -hmm. know, tomato pasta without butter yeah. is delicious, but there's something about the butter which kind of holds it together and makes it, it a does. more creamy. It does. It's very good. And I have to say, I did, I think I gasped out loud when I saw Sean. She showed me how much she drops on oh. top and I was like, oh. <gasps> I know. But then when you're eating it, how is it? It's wonderful. Let's talk about your life in comedy for a second. It all started in Chicago. What were you doing there? I went there to study improv and comedy and worked at a place called The Second City, Second City. and another place called The Improv Olympic. And that's where I met my husband, where I met Jeff, was the piano player for The Improv Olympic and, and also worked at The Second City eventually. And uh, that's where I met my dear friend Amy Poehler. Mm, so many there. of my good friends. So in those days, would you do improv all day and then say, let's go and eat? We would, again, it was diner culture. We would go to this, oh gosh, now what was the name of that diner? There actually was an NPR piece about this amazing waitress who worked at that diner. Oh my God, what was the name of the diner? I'll have to think about it and get okay. But we would go, because we would go, it's crazy that I can't remember, because we would go at least once a day, oftentimes twice a day. We'd go, you know, have something before the show and then go back at 1 a.m. Do you like to eat before you perform? Again, at the time, I, I was yeah. not treating my body like the beautiful instrument. That <laughs> I, so yeah, I would eat before. I would yeah. eat like... I would yeah. eat like Boston Market yeah. before and then, and then in the middle of the you'd show, sorry, be like, I'm, like, I'm going to get Boston sick. Market? Boston Market was a, uh, God willing, now defunct chain that sold like rotisserie chickens and turkey. <laughs> I used to say I would get, I would get food at Boston Market and it, you would start to get sick before you left. Before, right. So You're then still... it was like you never even ate. It was perfect. Oh. <laughs> but then we'd go and have usually after the shows, we'd do two shows on a Friday or Saturday and go and have like a giant breakfast. 
of like eggs and a waffle. A and breakfast, what time of day would that be? 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Oh, I see. So the show would finish yeah. up, then you'd go out. Yeah. Eat. There seems with friends of mine who are in, often in, in plays that there is the thing of we'll go out to eat afterwards. Yes, you know? because your then adrenaline's it, so high. You, it's too, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like in the chef world as well. There's a whole, not so much anymore now that everybody's, you know. Stop doing cocaine. And all that stuff. But when after, after performance in mm-hmm. a way, and kind of what you described For as sure. ballet or yeah. having an audience there, the curtain going up, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, I always think the reason probably a lot of actors like to work in restaurants is there is a similarity, mm-hmm. you know, there's a drama that takes place yes. and everything else. But in the old days when Rose and I first started, and I don't know what happens now, I don't think so much. People would go out after a service, mm-hmm. like go out at 10, go clubbing mm-hmm. or to eat something because, you know, I know that adrenaline that hits yes. you. Yeah. And, and it's is the end the of your... in the theater? Yes, it is. It's the end of your work day. So you want to go out and have your evening and your evening just happens to be mm. at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The one thing I used to love with Saturday Night Live, Saturday was the most fun day because it's the day where it's finally all happening and mm. you can spend a lot of time being worried. And then mm. Saturday, you just have to kind of go down the slide, you know, and we would have these crew lunch dinner, I guess. We'd sort of rehearse from 1 p.m. till about 5.30 p.m. And you'd go down to the NBC cafeteria Mm. and have lunch with everybody or Mm. dinner with everybody. That's one of my favorite memories of working there, actually. On a film set or on television, it seems there are different attitudes. I had a conversation before with Wes Anderson, who mm-hmm. really, his dream would be not to have any lunch. To shoot all so day. Just to shoot all yeah. day and not stop. Because, and another director said the same, that they just found having to stop and then go back and then do that. But, you lose momentum. But the crew wasn't so happy with that. You know, he, his mm-hmm. idea was, he said, to try and have a soup and then everybody just go back and then have a big meal at the end of the day. But the crew wanted wanted to eat. They want their break, you know, yeah. And need need that break and need that time. When you're producing a film or a theater, do you think about what people are going to eat? I mean, I always, if I'm producing something, I want the food to be good and to be ample. And oftentimes, if you want to reward the cast and crew, you send more food. We send like food trucks, like pizza truck, coffee truck. Yeah. So food is, in my, I believe food is the only reward in yeah. life. In life. Uh, <laughs> good. I like that. <laughs> sure. Money. Yeah, sure. Agree, but yeah, food. But yeah, food. Yeah. We used to have a wonderful lady who's no longer with us, woman angel who was in charge of what's called craft services on 30 Rock, which is you have your meals, you get in, like there's a truck, there's catering, does breakfast and lunch, but all the food that you just eat in between that all day, there would just be a table in the hallway with food. And Angel had so much passion about her job. And she was Italian-American from Staten Island. And she would show up with these things and be like, Angel, what is this? What?" And, and Alec Baldwin, who loves to eat, he was in love with her and everything about her because she would just bring him these beautiful, like, whatever, like balls of mozzarella, these crazy breads. What was that, like, rolled up artichoke bread and all this stuff? It was so much more than what you would normally get, like, a bowl of apples and some candy. And this episode of 30 Rock, there's a whole storyline about the perfect sandwich. And there's this thing where... um I'm chasing a guy that I love through the airport, but I, I they want love me to take that scene. Well, you, when, they, when you don't go through, you they just want have, me to take my sandwich and I say, no way. Sauce. Yeah. But for first, you have to describe that scene. You, I'm not going to do it because okay. I think it is one of the great scenes in food. And Thank you. Food. I, I, I will say, I think as an actor, perhaps my only specialty is on camera eating. <laughs> I commit to it. I'm great at it. And so so this is a scene where Liz Lemon is, yeah, she's chasing her love interest who is played by Jason Sudeikis, who you all may know as Ted Lasso. And uh, I'm chasing through the airport and I've 
been also the other part of the story is I've been trying to get the Teamsters, the union drivers, to tell me where they get these great sandwiches. So I've got my special sandwich and the security guard at the airport says, you have to leave the sandwich behind. You can't take it through. And I, <laughs> I say, no, I believe women can have it all. And I'm going to eat this sandwich in one bite before I go through security. And I'm still going to catch the man. And so it came down to Angel, this woman who did our craft service. I said, Angel, this is a special assignment for you. I need you to make me the perfect sandwich. Normally it would have been the props department, but I said, Angel, you're going to make the sandwich and, and I need it to be, I need to be able to eat it in one bite. So she went to these bakers that she knew in Staten Island and had them custom make, I don't know what it was, the softest, yeah, I was gonna most say the delicious bread. Must bread. Have been really soft. Yeah. When I tell you that sandwich, I can remember to this day, mm. that sandwich was so delicious. What was in it? Do you remember? It was an Italian sub. So it had like some salami and some, what I would call gabagool, some cheese. It wasn't a fake sandwich. Mm. And I ate it in one I saw take. And I remember saying, they were like, we got it. And I was like, did we? Because if you need me to do it again, I am willing to, because it was so good. But the credit goes to Angel because the bread yeah. like melted in my mouth. I love that scene. I just love that scene because it was like, what's important here right now? And also, the, uh, you have left out one thing about that sandwich was there was a dipping sauce. There was a dipping but, sauce too that I had to dip it in, yeah, <laughs> to lubricate <laughs> That was That's right. Not only am I going to eat the sandwich at security, but I'm going to dip it. You yeah. Know? And doesn't she say something about this is a cliche or is like you know? Yeah. Something. I just, yeah, that was. So I think it was that Johnny good. May, the actress. I think it might have been. She's so good. funny. Yeah. She's like yeah. really. Yeah. So eating on camera. Is, yes. Uh, is it hard to do? Yeah, it can be because you when you film something, you film it a million times, and so. If you, this is something fun you can look at when you watch movies now, you will notice that the actors in dinner scenes almost never put food in their mouth. Because if you were to do it, you would do it, the camera would be far away, you would do it, and then they'd, now, you'd have to eat like 10 plates of food. And so actors are usually pretty adept at not doing it. Not me, I get in there. You get right in there. The oh, only time, also yeah. the one on SNL when you're eating the cake, when you're talking about yes. transfer. I mean, it is. It is a work of art to see the way you, any minute now, I thought I was going to be sick. Did you just do, but you did that once. I did it. Well, I did it twice because we have a dress rehearsal. Mm. And I thought to myself, you know what? I better really do it in dress rehearsal because it was live TV. And I was a little worried that I would choke. Yeah. And I thought. I was worried you were going to choke. Actually. I was worried I was going to choke. Yeah. And that cake, I will say the only disappointment with that one was that I love them dearly, but that was the SNL props department and that cake was uh. not tasty. I was trying to run a scam where I was like, can you get this cake from my favorite bakery? And they were like, no. <laughs> I wanted them to get it from a place called Make My Cake in Harlem that makes the best cake. What, what do they make? Uh, they make all kinds of cakes. But I just get like yellow cake, white, white icing. icing? Ugh, yeah. Come on. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, I know. We once we were in Mexico once. It was a friend of mine's birthday. And we went to, we just couldn't find any cake. We were in the beach. And we went to that place where they put them in the fridges and you see them. We thought, okay. And we apologized for it. And we said, this is all we could get. And then we, you know, lit the candle, blew it out. And literally, it was one of the great The greatest cakes. cakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should say that as a River yeah. Cafe chef because it probably yeah, would be. But there's something about that kind mm -hmm. of white cake, yeah, yeah. you know, pancake, yellow frosting. Yeah. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, 
and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit betterhelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. Betterhelp.com slash Ruthie. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Going back to the beginning, what was food like in your household when you were growing up as a kid? I grew up outside Philadelphia in a very Greek neighborhood. Oh. I'm half Greek. And where I first lived, it was the neighborhood was very Greek. Mm. Um, your mother so, was Greek? Or my your mom's father? Greek. Yeah, mm. my mom's Greek. And so we had a mix of Philly food and sort of 70s food and American food and Greek food. But, you know, I grew up watching her make spanakopita mm -hmm. and we'd go every year to like, the church festival down the street was the only time you could get Lukomades. Was that a Greek, Greek Orthodox? Yeah, St. Demetrius yeah. Greek yeah. Church, yeah. which when I came to live here, they were like, you're staying on St. Dionys Road. I was like, oh, that seems right to me. Um, you'd get Lukomades, you know what those are? No, they're the, oh my gosh, they're the like fried, deep fried dough balls that get you get hot honey and cinnamon poured on them. They're like Mm. kind of the best. Do they puff up? They, they puff up, yeah. yeah. They're like puffy, hot balls of dough with, yeah. And you only, they're a real pain in the butt to make. Did your mother make them? No, you only get them at like the church festival okay. once a year. And anytime I've ever gone into a Greek restaurant in New York, that sometimes there's a place in New York that I won't name where they often have them on the menu. And if you order them, they're like, well, we, we don't have them tonight. Because ah, they're a real pain. <laughs> I think they're a pain. Yeah. And yeah, so we grew up eating that kind of stuff. Was your mother born in Greece or was she born My in My mother the was, I believe, conceived in the U.S., born in Greece, and brought back as an infant. Like, I think her mom went to be around her mother right. when she delivered and then right. came back. And did the, your grandmother come back too? Or did yes, she, my grandmother so did came she, back. did she cook more Greek food for you than perhaps your mother did? Uh, well, my grandmother had passed away when I was still quite small. So oh, my brother's eight years older than me. He probably remembers my grandmother. Yeah. I don't have firsthand memories right. of any of my grandparents. Yeah. But for sure, certain foods like the... Um, Avgolemino soup, which oh, is yeah, the, the that, Greek that chicken soup with with lemon and with orzo instead yeah. of rice. Yeah. I think it's probably similar to the way Italian food versus sort of Italian American food. Like yeah. it's it, the real stuff is lighter and mm. fresher than what you might know. Mm. You know, it's not like some heavy. Yeah cheese-laden moussaka. Oh, the other thing my mom would always oh, make for make us on, on special occasions is like for our birthday or something, she would make bastizio. That was so. our favorite. That's kind of their version of lasagna. It's just like a bechamel, ground mm. beef and, and mm. tomato pasta with a mm. bechamel baked on top. Mm. And as a kid, you know, it's like all mm. you ever yeah. want. 
I think that the image, as you were saying, going back to that of food when you're in America, it's the same thing, as you say, with Italian. I grew up in upstate New York. The idea that was that, you know, Italian food was eggplant parmesan or yeah. meatballs and spaghetti and yeah. very kind of heavy food. And then you go to Italy and this piece of grilled fish yeah. with herbs and olive oil yes. or, you know, very light pasta. I went to Greece. As you can see, I don't know much about Greek food mm -hmm. and I've spent enough time in Greece. But when we went there, we went to Hydra and the mm. food was so gorgeous mm -hmm. so yeah well i imagine it's a little bit like i know you love mexico and it's mm. sort of the same thing same. you're like we're here we're by the sea mm. we cook what we caught today mm. like that kind of life is interesting how that translates then why is it that when you know immigrants then come what they came to the united states that they guess i guess it was just the idea of giving abundance or giving a lot of food or making people feel that, you know. Right, more mouths to yeah, feed maybe, and, and things that need to be, that keep yeah. in the refrigerator and yeah. it's not the same. Yeah. I think for, you're saying first generation still cooks the food from the country, doesn't it, from the home country. And the second generation is trying to adapt. And then the third generation is probably completely forgotten about it, you know. Apparently my grandmother, who's from Hungary, never went anywhere without her rolling pin. Include, oh, you know, wow. Yeah, she just didn't trust anybody to roll out the strudel or whatever she was making, you know. But then my mother never cared or made anything like that. Did your father cook? No, my mom did the cooking. And I think she was, you know, cooked by just the virtue of the fact that that was what was expected of her. I don't think she, she did she well. Had she had worked for like a brokerage firm in her youth. And I think she definitely, once I was in high school, she went back to work. I think she was a woman who liked to work. And mm. the sort of the norm at the time mm. was you don't work when you have mm. kids. Mm. So she didn't work until I was, <clears throat> she didn't work until I was a little bit older. She cooked in that kind of 70s rotation of like, okay, one night is hot dogs and beans and then it's shrimp pilaf. And I, I do remember it was that part of the 70s where like the American economy was not great. And I remember that there were certain things, be like every two weeks, there'd be like a steak that we all shared. And then you take the like grocery store white bread and get to soak up all the like A1 <laughs> sauce yeah, on yeah. the plate, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'd go to have hamburgers on payday once a month. So it was that very like 1977, 78 there wasn't a lot of money to go to restaurants. It wasn't. But it still feels like there was a focus on food. Eh? For sure. And events were all very, you know, if it was Christmas time or yeah. his birthday party, like back when we were kids, especially like so many kind of Greek specialties that would be like getting ready for the holidays would be like making baklava. And she made baklava? She would make baklava. She would make kurolaikia and her friends would come over and it was like, okay, we got to hustle on this because all those things with the puff pastry are yeah, it's a lot. they're labor intensive yeah, yeah it's a lot there's no yeah. i love that that sweet it was ultra sweet sort of syrupy yeah yeah, yeah. and then the kurulaikia are the ones that are like little twists they look they look like the aids ribbon yeah they, and, <laughs> and they're not very sweet they're yeah. like closest to like a not a biscotti but that you would have them with coffee and as you say, so you, you grew up with such a culture of food that you did sure. grow up as part of your identity would be that eating Greek food, did the, but you were in the community of people yeah. who also ate Greek food. And it was oh, a, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I still love to cook in the spring in New York. I love to cook dandelion greens. Uh, yeah. And my mom's aunt came to visit from Greece and she kept saying to my mom, like in Greek, which I can't speak, but like she wanted to pick the dandelion 
greens out of like the cracked sidewalk mm. where mm. she lived. And my yeah. mom's like, no, 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 Thea, mm. you can't eat those. Like yeah. she'd be like, cats pee on those. You can't, yeah. because in her mind, she's like, oh, there's, yeah. there's dandelions. We should cook them. That again goes back to the culture of yeah. Richard's relatives and Florence used to go out in the fields and, you know, right. it wasn't even called foraging. It wasn't called something very special. You would just yeah. pick it. And especially things like, as you say, dandelion. My husband, Jeff, when he was originally from West Virginia and then his family moved to Ohio, they would go out into the woods behind their house and pick ramps in the spring, which are these very garlicky, some cross between strong garlic and a scallion mm. and use them to just cook potatoes. And he was blown away one day, a couple years ago, we were at some New York City spring farmer's market and there was a bundle of ramps for like $16 for a bunch. And he took a picture and sent it to his mother and she was like, couldn't yeah. stop laughing yeah. at how yeah. this po' folks food, yeah. as they would they call say, it. Po' folks food, yeah. yeah. I remember I was supposed to do a dinner with Alice Walters, you know, uh-huh. and I, Rose and I were doing it for Edible Schoolyard, which is a uh-huh. foundation. And I, so I said, let's call up Alice, because yeah. we were thinking, can we get the fish from Maine and can we get this from here and what yeah. are we going to get? And I said, what are you going to do, Alice, for food? She went, oh, we're going to forage in Central Park. And I was like, in okay. Central Park? <laughs> how do you compete with that? You know, wow. She always, you know, she, she was going to go and find her greens. She found a, a complete sandwich in a yeah, trash can. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Speaking of sandwiches, we'll get onto that. But what about, did you go to restaurants? A lot of times we would go to restaurants that either Greek family friends owned, like little kind of coffee shop, dinery restaurants. I also had my godparents, their son owned for a long time, a huge diner in Wildwood, New Jersey called the Vegas Diner. I don't know if you know that Jersey Shore area, but it's these gorgeous 1950s diners. There's a lot of them are landmark now. It was those kind of places where the menu is like 14 pages long and you can either get like shrimp scampi or an omelet or whatever. But when those places are good, they're so good. I grew up with diners, mm-hmm. you know, not so much in upstate New York as maybe on the New Jersey shore. And then when I married an Italian, I loved really good food and we lived in Paris, people would always say to me, where did you eat in New York? And I'd say, oh, we, we'd go to that diner because Richard, all he wanted to eat was either pastrami sandwiches or diner food. And actually, if you analyze it, probably diner food is when it's good because it's all cooked fresh. Isn't it? Right, it's, it's coming right at right you. Right then and there. Yeah. You know. There's a diner in my neighborhood in New York that does, they just roast I guess, I don't know how many, but they roast turkeys every day. Mm. So when you get a turkey sandwich from the diner, it's like, it's the day after Thanksgiving. It's the most delicious fresh turkey. Yeah. Are they still around diners then? Are they they thriving, do you think? They are in New York. I think they've managed to survive the pandemic. I think um, one thing that the city did that was probably smart was when everyone could only do delivery during the pandemic, they allowed people to deliver alcohol also. So every delivery menu, would they would lead on the app. They'd be like, do you want four glasses of wine? Do you want a Cosmo? Also grilled cheese. Also like, so that, I think that helped them stay afloat financially. The other thing that I have a really fond memory of was Saturdays. And I think this is kind of a Philadelphia thing. We'd get up, I'd uh, go run the morning, Saturday morning errands with my dad, which always included going to the good Italian deli near our house and getting like fresh, what we would call it, lunch meat. Mm. But really it was pretty legit stuff because it was like sliced provolone, mortadella, what in Philly, what they would call gabagool, which I think is What's like that? capricola, like we would call it gabagool, <laughs> but like yeah. all these proper Italian yeah. lunch meats and really fresh rolls and stuff and come home. And then that would be like, the reward would be, you'd make a big ass sandwich oh. with that stuff. That's just so, so good. And that's growing up with that real Italian stuff. I can't, when I, when I went to college in Virginia and it was like, Regular like bologna and so well, I was like, that's this is not thing. it. Velveeta yeah. is not it. 
growing up in this house that where you were nurtured and exposed to wonderful food, you did then go to the University of Virginia. Was that traumatic not to have it that was, food anymore? <laughs> I remember being at the University of Virginia within the first couple of weeks I was there going to the cafeteria and picking up what I thought was a breaded chicken cutlet and biting into a chicken fried steak and being like, what the hell is this? What this is, is I don't know what it is. What's in the South, they, they take a steak and bread it and deep fry it like chicken, and it is gross. But then, you know, believe me, wherever you put me, I will find what there is to eat, Ruthie. Like, I, I figured I'm out, like, okay, the, the way to play it in Virginia was to go to a, a chain called Morrison's Cafeteria and just get the vegetarian plate, which was like biscuits, black-eyed peas, mm. collard greens, <laughs> yeah, grits with butter and salt. These were all foods yeah. I had never had before. Did you ever have your own apartment when you were at UVA? Or did you I always- did eventually, but I'll tell you exactly what I used to eat. And then you can imagine what I looked like from that. I didn't cook properly. I used to get a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese and make it and then add to it a drained can of tuna fish and some lightly cooked frozen peas, stir that together and eat all of it, and then eat a pint of ice cream. <laughs> Did that cause you to gain weight? I mean, I was... Did- <laughs> I was. Is that a new diet? We can honestly, like it's a I, it's a miracle I didn't gain more weight because I would do that often. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and also probably I probably also had a side of applesauce for nutrition. Yeah. Did your mom <laughs> ever teach you to cook? Did she ever try to teach you? To um, cook? She has taught me. I've since gotten her to show me yeah. how to do this the spanakopita. Yeah. She. Yeah. No, I think the the few things I've learned to cook, I've learned some moves. More, I would say more, I've learned more in the last five years yeah, yeah. than I did I, yeah. growing and up. When, yeah. you're stu- when you're at college and you're doing that, probably food. There was some somebody, I, who did I talk to? Oh, a friend of Brian Chesky. And he said that when he was at the Rhode Island School of Design, it was almost it was an art school and it was a almost competitive as how well you could cook. And this oh, interesting. Another friends, form of you know, artistic they would expression. Sort of go and eat and and then every night somebody had to make a different dish and they were all involved in cooking. But I think it's more unusual. I think most people when they go to college have left home and then mm-hmm. they're just, you know, just on the what, meal plan what or whatever. Can. Yeah. And also economically. But the macaroni and cheese, is that the last time you had that tuna macaroni cheese? What was the other ingredient? Peas. Oh peas. <laughs> I've tried to convince I tried to make a you actual must have had to deconstruct that, no? Did uh, it come like I s I I assembled that. Yeah. Oh, you assembled it? I assembled it. that. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bravo. Um, yeah. I think I've tried to sell my kids on just old 70s tuna casserole because that was mm. like, and they were like, no, no this is terrible. They created these monsters. I know. They yeah. don't, they don't do like, that anymore. They're like, can we have yeah. yellowtail sashimi? Yeah, yellowtail yeah. sashimi. <laughs> and what about when you became domestic, when you did start having kids and yes. you did have a husband and, and does Jeff cook? Does Jeff just- is a natural cook. My uh-huh. husband is a fantastic cook. He's someone who did learn from his grandmother, his grandma, Perlene taught him all these things. His previous generations of his family were coal miners in West Virginia. And in the coal camps, there were kind of the Irishy, Englishy mm. families. And then there were a lot of Italians mm. and they would cook together. The women of the coal camps would all go and cook together. And so Jeff's grandma would make what she referred to as two fingers. She's like, well, we're going to make two fingers and it's gnocchi. Oh, it's gnocchi. They, and they just called it. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they called it. So he knew how to cook. And he, he, some people are just natural, right? Like I'm the kind of person, if I cook, I'd have to read it a hundred times mm-hmm. and I measure it. And then, and whenever there's anything that's instinct related, like, mm-hmm. is the steak done? Mm-hmm. Like it, I, my instincts are terrible. So, and his instincts are good. I'm, I'm getting better. Yeah, I can I cook a steak can. from myself, but I had to really learn. And he's just a natural. He can kind of cook anything. 
Really. And does he? He does he, most of the cooking in our house. Yeah. 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 And, and what's that like? Are you able to have dinner with your kids on the weekday? Yeah, we try to, and we try to. We've really been committed to doing a big Sunday dinner with some friends every week. Sunday night dinners are nice, aren't they? It's really nice. We had one together that night. We played cards. It's a kind of day where you're getting ready for Monday and saying goodbye to the weekend. It's it's, it's a good night. Yeah. So you have lunch with your kids or Sunday night dinner? We have Sunday dinner. With your friends? With our friends, different friends come over and Jeff cooks that and it's usually like roast chicken or, you know, cut a beef or sometimes it's, sometimes he'll do pasta or... And how often do you go out as a family? Well, Well, it's interesting. You know, we're just... In New York, I think we were just starting to go back to places in person mm. in the last yeah, true. six months. True, true, true. So we were ordering in a lot before then because yeah. I didn't want the restaurants to close. Yeah. So we ordered in a yeah. lot. And then, you know, when Jeff is busy, then I, I get excited to be like, oh, I'll do the family weeknight dinner. Uh-huh. And I'm always trying things. And yeah. it's I, I don't know if your family was the same way, but... When kids are younger, I can never find something that both of them like. Oh, I know. So I'd be like, let's try chicken vinegar. One likes it, one else. Well, let's mm. try, you know. I see with my grandchildren that there's just a very different way of approaching food, which is basically, you know, what one will have like this, and like you say, chicken, and one doesn't, one's vegetarian, and one's yeah. not eating gluten, or one doesn't like fish at all. Nobody mm-hmm. likes fish. I guess there was a time in life, maybe if we're all sitting here, when you ate what you were maybe given? Yes, <laughs> which we've tried to sort of explain to them. But you know, Lauren said this to me once and I think is smart. He was like, you can't make them have your childhood. You yeah, can't true. explain, to, like you, yeah. they don't have your childhood. No, no, no it's done. Yeah, it's, it, that's over. So there is a, and maybe having all that choice makes for mm-hmm. a happier, not for the person who's cooking it. I had a friend who had, a girlfriend of one of my sons, had the best, most amazing posture. She was French. She mm-hmm. just was amazing. And we all said, Veronique, how did you get that? She said, well, every time we sat down to dinner, my father would just make sure that we sat up straight and we just sat like that, you know, we and we all have fantastic posture, but we hate family dinners. Oh, interesting. Yeah. She said, I may have this posture, but, you know, never do I want to sit down to a meal with family because they were tortured because that's all. It was know, too so rigid. There's probably a, a happy medium. And you do go out, but you now go out? Yes, we're back to going out. And where do they eat? Well, now my older daughter likes to go meet up with her friends and they just go to like a Mexican place in the neighborhood. But Penelope, is, she's quite smart about food. Penelope's she, a good eater. Was, and also both of them were. I have to say that night we had dinner at the River Cafe. They were really sophisticated in oh, their thank choice. You. Yes, they get, Penelope has the bummer of she has a, a tree nut allergy. So that's like yeah. a stress. But but beyond that, she she's the one. She'll eat vegetables. She'll eat a, yeah. She'll eat like a braised yeah. cavolo nero. She'll sit yeah. there and eat it. She'll eat. She and Jeff do a thing that to me is insane where the two of them both like to take sardines and put them on like a saltine cracker with yellow mustard and eat it. I, I can relate to that. Which I will not eat that, but I love yeah. it when she eats it because that's yeah. about the healthiest thing you could eat is yeah. that pure fish oil or whatever. Yeah. And then Alice is a bit more picky, but... No, they were good eaters. I was talking to, again, Ivy, one of my granddaughters, and we were talking about loving food. She said she goes to bed at night and thinks what she's going to have for breakfast the next day. And then she gets up in the morning and she thinks, oh, now that she's working in this place, she has early lunch at 12. But she likes that because it means she could have another lunch at 3. <laughs> and, you know, and if you were asking some of the chefs here, they when they're biking to work, they're thinking about 
what they're going to cook. And they're thinking and talking to you. The character that we see is very, you know, you love food on 30 Rock yeah. and you're queuing up for the hot dogs and you're getting, throwing something because they ate your sandwich and everything. But it is a certain kind of food. It isn't the foodie food, is it? Because we don't want to watch somebody eating a souffle Grand Marnier every night, mm-hmm. you know, that... So what is that? What is the food you dream of? You really the, do. The food, I the do think, effect. <laughs> I do think I, I do like simpler food. I don't like anything with too sort of saucy or, you know, like, like French food. I don't really, like, I think I just, I think, and also the, like that growing up with that Greek food where everything is just like olive oil and some lemon and salt, you know, but I think when I'm here by myself, which I've been here for yeah. couple by myself, I'm almost a vegetarian you know i want to cook just like vegetables and pasta yeah and bread and cheese from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip i thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You're here doing a film yes, I'm with here, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, acting in a movie called A Haunting in Venice, directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh. It's an Agatha Christie-inspired murder mystery. And it's been very fun to be here shooting in an ensemble with some really great actors, Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Dornan and Camille Catan and Kelly Riley. And it's just been fun to be basically in on the Haunted Mansion ride at Disney World. I've just been inside that ride for three months because we're on this set that's like a spooky old Venetian palazzo in the dark all day, every day for three months. Is the culture of filming in Britain, in Europe, in London very different? And back to food, is it a different food culture that you it have It is here? a little different. We Our lunch is, our hours are very civilized here. We stopped every day at six on the dot, which at home, depending on who you're working for, you could drift into eight o'clock, 10 o'clock, 1 a.m. You could work really, really? late. Yeah, we stopped. Our lunch is very short. It's only half an hour, which was sort of, we weren't used to it at first, but then I grew to really like it because then you don't kind of lose momentum. Usually you come back from Americans that you come back from lunch a little sleepy Mm. and you have to get a coffee, but this was a half hour lunch and then back in and, um, and just everyone offering you tea constantly. Oh, really? Drinking so much tea, (laughs) which is nice. Tea and digestives. Is there a food scene in it? I didn't get to do any on-camera eating. Oh, too nice. um, that's like a shame. There was a nice thing on set, which was, again, because food is the only way to communicate with people, because the cast were all from different places, we started um, kind of sharing our favorite unique snacks from mm-hmm. our countries, which started because somehow I was, it was, ho- it was Halloween when mm-hmm. I first got here, and I was talking about 
candy corn. And of course, no one here knew what that was. And so I had a friend bring me a couple bags of candy corn to share. And we started taking a poll. We'd give it to the Brits and and film their reactions. Um, And people thought it was disgusting, which I respect. I love it. But it was a great conversation starter when we were all new to each other and we were like kind of an icebreaker. And then other people started bringing in uh, a woman, Wakana Yoshihara is our head of our... um, hair and makeup department and she's Japanese. And so she started bringing in Japanese candy and we were trying like, and some were great, some were disgusting. She had these plum candy that looked like a children's vitamin. I apologize to anyone that loves these, but she was so amused to film each of us trying them. And it's so funny that something could be a complete comfort treat to her that to my palate was horrible. Mm. And same with the candy corn. And then some of the Brits started bringing, it was getting closer to Christmas and uh, Kelly Riley brought in, she said, this is the cheap chocolate that we grew up with. It was quality street mix Mm, of chocolates. And then uh, Emma Laird was bringing different kinds of crisps. And then we kept asking Camille Catan, who's French, like, what, Mm. you know, what's unique? What kind of weird candy can you bring? And she was like, I don't know what I can bring. And then she brought, by the way, why am I imitating her? Like she's Salma Hayek. (laughs) She doesn't speak like that. Um, And, uh, and then she, Camille showed up with gorgeous yeah. cheese oh, yeah. from France for yeah. the whole crew. That's She's just, like, we that, don't eat garbage. Yeah. 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 So that, she brought yeah. this like gorgeous, gorgeous cheese. What is the movie called? It's called A Haunting in Venice. A Haunting in Venice. So you actually are going to go to Venice. Now we go to Venice tomorrow. Have you been there before? I have never been yeah. there. Okay. So what are you thinking about Venice and food? A friend of mine took their kid to Venice. I'll just tell you. And the kid was 10. It was a big, big deal. For them to go. They didn't mm-hmm. have much money. They flew from New York. They went to Venice. And they said, how do you like Venice after three days? He said, I thought there would be more canals. More, <laughs> more canals. More. There are a lot of canals yeah. in Venice. How he many, wanted more like canals. through the hotel hall. So what are you thinking about Venice? Weirdly, the one thing I'm most excited for about Venice is not a food thing, which is I'm excited to film outside. Mm. I'm excited to a little bit of chaos mm. because I am used to shooting outside in New York City and we've been on this lovely contained set for a while and I kind of like the idea that like something could go a little wrong. I'm, I'm a little bit convinced that I'm going to fall in the canal, but yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think I will, but yeah. maybe I will. If you do, it's okay because the water is much cleaner than it was than it used because to be. of the um, pandemic. There are no cruise ships. So. Oh, that's probably, yeah, yeah, those cruise, I I, I, those cruise ships are too big together. Yeah. So, I, and I haven't even had a chance to really think about what we're going to eat or where. So I need you to tell me where to eat yeah, in Venice. Well, there's great food in Venice. You know, there's the sepia nero. They have these black squid with the ink. Mm. And a friend of mine who grew up outside of Venice said that she only really had pasta when she was 13 because everybody ate risotto. Oh, you're going to have a wonderful time. I'm excited. It's so exciting. As you know, on this little podcast is we ask the guests to read a recipe. And so you did say to me, when I tried to persuade you to do various other recipes that you really wanted to do slow-cooked tomato sauce, and how could I possibly ever say no to Tina Fey? <laughs> and the only other person who really bagged it was Jake Chilinol. And he said, I'm only doing this, Ruthie, if I can read tomato pasta. So we said yes to him, but that was not with so much butter, and it was a year and a half ago. So here you go. Here's okay. the recipe that you could read for tomato pasta. Okay. I'm going to say tomato, though, because I'm American. I know. I've been here, you know, how many years? 40 years? Yeah, I think you come by it honestly. You say tomato, I say tomato. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Slow-cooked tomato sauce serves six to eight, or in my case, two. Three tablespoons olive oil, two garlic cloves peeled and cut into slivers, two one-kilogram jars peeled plum tomatoes drained of their juices, 150 grams unsalted butter cut into cubes, which I would say visually to me was about... 
a third to a half a cup of butter. <laughs> Heat the olive oil in a large saucepan. Fry the garlic until lightly browned. Now add the tomatoes and stir to break them up. Season with sea salt and black pepper. Cook slowly, stirring occasionally for at least an hour. When the sauce is ready, it will be extremely thick, no juice at all. Cook tagliarini in boiling salted water for two minutes. Drain and add to tomato sauce. Stir in the butter. Toss well and serve. There you go. So when you go back to New York, oh yeah, I need that. there's your dish. So if we were talking about comfort, you're talking about comfort and you're talking about snacks and you're talking about, you know, nationalities and mm -hmm. what their views are of comfort. And we think about cooking as being a way of expressing love and something that alleviates hunger and something that we want to share or keep to ourselves. We also think of food as comfort. Mm -hmm. And so my last question to you in this January day, the first day back in the River Cafe after Christmas. And as I said, tragically, for me, the day that you and George are leaving mm -hmm. is sad. What, Tina Fey, is your comfort food? Well, I have so many. Well, you can name a few. You don't have to have I have two, th two come top of list, but there are so... I mean, a pasta like this, obviously, this tomato pasta would be top of the list. I also think, back to New York, diner food, sort of a grilled cheese with tomato with the big sort of steak fries that you get at a diner and then open the grilled cheese and put a few fries into the sandwich with a fountain Coke, not Pepsi. Okay. That would be one. Is there another one? And the other one would be yellow cake with white ice. Yeah, okay. So, so these both come from New York. So when I come to New York in February or yeah. March, can we have that yes. together? Yes. I'll make the yeah. cake. No, I'll, no, I'll get the cake from Make My Cake. Okay. And we'll get the... And then we'll go... We'll go to the Viand Diner. Okay, I can't wait. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Rithi. Bye. The River Cafe Lookbook is now available in bookshops and online. It has over 100 recipes beautifully illustrated with photographs from the renowned photographer Matthew Donaldson. The book has 50 delicious and easy-to-prepare recipes, including a host of River Cafe classics that have been specially adapted for new cooks. The River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for cooks of all ages. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's Better, H-E-L-P.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>